The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 5, and uh, we're going to start in verse 16. We're continuing this week in our series, Who Are You? Uh, Our aim in this study has been to elevate to its proper place of prominence the idea that our identity should be found primarily in Christ. Uh, To help us understand how these sermons apply practically, we have said that we are hoping that everyone will think about how they would answer if someone asked them the question, who are you? But they said to them, don't say your name. Don't tell me your name. I want to know who are you, but don't tell me your name. What you would then be forced to do is to identify the most prominent characteristic of who you are. You'd have to figure out the identifying aspect of your existence from which the rest of who you are flows. And so our great hope is that for those who have put faith in the finished work of Christ, That answer would be that they are a child of God. Our great hope is that through this series, the answer that will flow up out of you, not because you've been conditioned through behavior modification, but because truly your heart has come to grasp completely the truth, that because of Christ, you are a child of God, that if someone were to ask you that question and tell you you don't get to use your name, that what would rise up out of you as the legitimate and authentic answer is, I am a child of God. And you would understand that all of the rest of who you are flows from that beautiful reality. That's the point of the series. That's the point of every place we've been in the scriptures as a part of this series. That's where we're going tonight. Tonight, what we're going to look at is we're going to see that one of the aspects that flow out of being a child of God is that every single person that belongs to Jesus is an ambassador for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. So we're going to read 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 16. Here we go. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here we see Paul refer to himself and his comrades as ambassadors for Christ. Here he is using the well-known title of ambassador, everyone would have known what that was, to communicate what it is that disciples of Jesus do and how it is that disciples of Jesus live, especially in relation to the world around us. Ambassadors are diplomats. They are sent from their home country to another country where they represent their homeland. As ambassadors for Christ, we have to remember that we are strangers and aliens in this world. 
We have to remember that this is not our kingdom, and we are simply here to invite as many people as possible to become part of a much better one. That was a good spot to say amen. You missed it. We are not a part of this kingdom. You know that, right? You feel a little disjointed sometimes. You feel like things are not as they should be. You ever feel out of whack a bit? That's because you're not at home, right? The same way a diplomat from China coming to live here, the culture's going to be different, the customs are going to be different, the food's going to be different, it's going to be awkward, they're going to feel out of place. If you don't feel out of place most of the time, then there's something probably to be concerned about. Because to belong to the kingdom of God means to exist in this world, you are as a foreigner, an alien, a stranger. But not just that, we are ambassadors, representatives of the kingdom of God. And our primary job is to invite as many people as possible to become a a part of a much better kingdom than they find themselves in now. The beauty is that when we invite people, there are not long forms to fill out to see if they qualify. God's kingdom is open to anyone who is willing to believe by faith that they are invited. Not because they are worthy, or because that kingdom needs something that they have. Actually, no one is worthy themselves to be a part of God's kingdom. The citizens there are required to be perfect. Every person who has ever lived has committed treason against God's kingdom through their sin and rebellion. But our king loves even those who are his enemies so much that he said he would sign their citizenship papers with his very own blood and let them be considered perfect like he is. And all that he asks is that they believe they are that loved. People that have been accepted and loved perfectly when they didn't deserve it automatically become ambassadors for the king who loved and accepted them. If you think about it, we are often unintentional representatives for all types of things. Uh, People are willing to share the good news about a restaurant they ate at that was good. They're willing to share the good news about a movie that was especially entertaining or a brand of clothes they feel is attractive or durable or good value. Why is it that when people sometimes... Why is it then that people sometimes struggle to represent the king that made them? loves them, and saved them? Why is it that almost no one will ridicule or reject you for repping a restaurant or a movie or clothes or some other brand, but you mention King Jesus and all of a sudden you've gone too far? We live now in another kingdom. And oftentimes those who are committed to this world and its rulers do not like talk of a better heavenly country with a perfect and loving and all-powerful king. We cannot, however, be deterred from our work as ambassadors for Christ because we fear ridicule or rejection. It's honestly kind of wild how it works that we would ever even think in those terms or that that concern could ever grip us. It's, I tried to think of an example to, to the paint this picture a little clearer. So just imagine this scenario with me. Let's, let's see how we would end up feeling if this happened. Imagine you have a rich family member, and they buy a bunch of passes for King's Island, and, and they give you these passes, and these are like the premium passes, right? They've got the, the fast pass and like free food for all day, 
Anybody ever gone to an amusement park and had a fast pass? I just need to stop and say this for a minute. Have you ever done that before in your life? Let me just say to you, you should do that. If you have to not go for five years and save up your money and go one time with a fast pass instead of five times without, I, this is, look, I'm being an ambassador for fast passes, okay? I'm not, I didn't mean to, but listen. Listen to me, man. I love you. I want what's best for you. I'm your pastor. Get a fast pass, man. I'm telling you. I'll never, ever go to an amusement park again unless I have the money for a fast pass. Never, ever again. No, ever. Never stay in a three-hour line for a five-second ride in my life again. I think Jesus came up with fast passes. Now just imagine that your rich family member buys a bunch of these passes for you. It's got free food to the park all day. You don't have to pay for nothing. You got the fast pass, man. You just walk up, flash that wristband, baby. You're on the ride, okay? So this is the best possible situation you could come up with at the amusement park, okay? Uh, they buy you these passes, and they give you five extra, more than you need for you and your, your family to go. So you've been blessed by, by this, you're, you're thankful, and so you want to bless others. And so you get an idea, and you drive to the poorest neighborhood that you can find. You drive to a place where the poverty is so oppressive that the, th the kids there could hardly imagine a place as amazing as Kings Island, much less ever dream of going there. So you drive down to that spot with these passes in your hand. And so you start trying to hand out these passes. And, and you tell the kids how incredible it would be for them to go. You're explaining to them, hey, this is how it's going to be. You can eat all you want. You can get on the rides all you want. It's, it's going to be awesome. This place is great. You should go. Here's a pass to go. And, and you tell them it's free. And all they have to do is receive the passes you're giving them. Now, if some of those kids were to laugh at you or call you stupid for believing there was a place as cool as King's Island, or some of those kids started to cuss at you and tell you to leave because they think it's a scam and there's no way, that they're not going to believe for a second that someone would pay the price for someone else to go. Are you going to just throw away those passes and go cry in your car because you got rejected? I hope not. I hope you go find some kids who would believe that what you are saying is true and you would give them those passes. And, and who, stand, I mean, who stands as the fool in that situation? Not the one with the passes. <laughs> And yet we let people treat us that way. When what we're trying to offer them, is, is far as, as, as happy as I am about fast passes, and believe me, I'm happy about them. But the truth of the gospel that we come to offer, the precious jewel that is salvation by grace through faith, so far surpasses there's not even comparison to this silly story I just told you. And yet somehow we let people make us feel stupid or silly for trying to offer them something that beautiful. And we back away and go, go sit in the corner because we don't want to be rejected or ridiculed again. Can we stop doing that? Can we stop doing that, please? Quit throwing your passes in the trash. Go find somebody that will believe what you're saying and be blessed by it. Our fear of rejection or ridicule often reveals, here's part of the answer to why we let that happen. Listen to me. Our fear of rejection or ridicule often reveals that we are not totally convinced of the goodness of our king or the beauty of his kingdom. You'd have a lot easier chance trying to convince somebody about the, 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 the great opportunity they'd have in taking that pass you're trying to give them. If you've you know, been to King's Island, you've, you've, you've had a fast pass before, you know it's great, you're going to be able to talk to them about it. You, and and let's, let's say you've never been, so you're not totally sure it is as great as your rich family member told you, and, and you're not totally sure you know, where you stand on the whole thing. It's going to be a lot easier for you to get shut down. 
What do you believe about the truth of the word? Do you believe God is as good as he says he is? Do you believe his kingdom is as beautiful as the Bible describes it? Do you believe his love for you is as deep and infinite and wonderful as the Bible describes it to be? Or is a lack of trust of one of those things one of the reasons why you stay out of the conversation and keep those passes to yourself? We're going to talk together about three aspects of being ambassadors for Christ. There's a whole lot of other ways this probably could work itself out. We're going to look at three things. First of all, ambassadors for Christ are redeemed by King Jesus. They plead for reconciliation with King Jesus, and they represent the righteousness of King Jesus. First of all, ambassadors for Christ are first redeemed by King Jesus. Uh, Look at verse 17 with me. Here's what it says. It says, Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. I think, um, I think it is lost on us sometimes <clears throat> how miraculous the truth of that verse is. I think sometimes we discredit the beauty of not just applying a set of moral requirements to people that changes their behavior. I think that's how a lot of people view Christianity. They think that we can get people in and through social behavior, uh, or through, through social pressure and behavior modification, we can get people to stop doing bad things and start doing good things. And it's, it's, just, it's just a different form of control. That's the way a lot of people look at what they call religions broadly and Christianity in particular. That's not what's happening. This is what's happening. People that are totally dead and separated from God by their sins are made alive again. People that are totally entrenched in a kingdom of darkness are brought up out of that and allowed to be a part of a kingdom of light. Absolutely brand new, total creations changed. It's a miracle. Uh, In John 14, 12, Jesus says that they who have faith in him will do even greater works than he did. That's a big statement, isn't it? From Jesus, right? I mean, if anybody else said that, it wouldn't be that mind-boggling. But we're talking about Jesus here. This is surfs without a surfboard, Jesus. This is, you know, um, three fish and two loaves feeds 15,000 people, roughly, Jesus. This is calls guys up out of the grave that have been dead for a few days, Jesus. This is blind eyes seeing Jesus, deaf ears hearing Jesus. And he tells us, Those of you who believe in me are going to do greater works than I did. Woo! I've had some good weeks, but I've not had any deaf ears pop open. I've not made any blind eyes see. Definitely haven't walked on water yet. And I can't get through most hours of the day without saying or thinking something stupid that's a sin. Jesus was perfect during all that time. And all those miracles, man. And he he has the audacity to say to us, that we're going to do greater works than him. Well, what can he possibly be talking about? Listen, I'm to- I, I, am, I am totally of the uh, belief that the Holy Spirit can and will work miracles through, uh, in, in that way through his people. I believe that we can lay our hands on sick people and see them be healed 100%. Uh, I'm not saying or discrediting any of that. Um, and I think we should be doing that based on what the scriptures say. However, at least part of what I think Jesus is referencing is verse 17. Because what of all the amazing things Jesus did, what did he not do during his earthly ministry? He didn't see this happen. Why? Well, his work hadn't finished yet, right? Nobody was becoming a new creature until 
His death and resurrection was finished and the Holy Spirit was given to us so that this process could even happen. And so this miracle, I believe, is part of what Jesus classifies as greater works. And so, you know, people run around, I wish I could see a miracle like Jesus did. Well, let me tell you something right now. You, you want to see a miracle? Here's one. Any other nasty, old, dirty people in here that used to do stuff that you wouldn't even want to talk about in public, that used to think that way all the time? Anybody else want to say, hey, look at a miracle right here? Here's one. Here's a brand new creature standing in front of you. Here's somebody that used to rather hit you than talk to you. Here's somebody who hated you. I didn't need to know you. I hated you. You know what, I, you know what today? I don't need to know you. I love you. Why? Because I got good somehow? No. Because somebody came and changed me on the inside. Totally different than I used to be. And I know that's the story for so many of you. That's a miracle. And Jesus said it's a greater work than some of the amazing stuff that he did. So we need to put in its proper place the beauty of what's happening in the New Testament. The fact that we are a part of this time where by God's grace, we can go as ambassadors into a world of people that are dark and broken and hurting, and we can offer them citizenship in the kingdom of God. We can offer them the hope of the gospel. And some of them will receive that. And they will be, they will, whoa, I'm excited about it. They will be made brand new. And missing a few hours of sleep, so you know, whatever. I'm excited and maybe a little tired, but I'm too excited to let you know about it because I honestly, I, I, I still don't understand why he trusts us to be the ambassadors. Do you? I mean, do you know you? I know me. I would have found somebody better for the job, personally. I'd have found somebody that would be more excited about it more often, that would complain about it less, and it would be honestly a better representative of righteousness if I was picking. But apparently what Jesus likes to do is take jacked up folks like you and me, and he likes to work in us and through us and use that for the praise of his name and the glory and the fame of his Father. Amen. He wants to build his kingdom with a bunch of people like us. Yeah. Woo, if you ain't happy about that, you don't get it yet. Come on. Amen. People being new creations in Christ is a miracle of, of a magnitude that exceeds any other miracle you could possibly understand. Let me read this to you from... Um, Charles Spurgeon, this is what he said on the subject. The work of a new creation is even greater than God's work of creating the world. You hear what I just said? He's going to back it up. My brethren, it was more difficult. If such terms are ever applicable to omnipotence, it was more difficult to create a Christian than to create a world. What was there to begin with when God made the world? There was nothing, but nothing could not stand in God's way. It was at least passive, but, my brethren, in our hearts, while there was nothing that could help God, there was much that could and did oppose him. Our stubborn wills, our deep prejudices, our ingrained love of iniquity, all these, great God, opposed thee and aimed at thwarting thy designs. Yes, great God, it was great to make a world, but greater to create a new creature in Jesus Christ. I believe somebody going from death to life, from darkness to light, from becoming a, a non-believer in a kingdom of this world to a believer in Christ in a kingdom, and a, and a citizen of his kingdom, I agree with Charles Spurgeon. I believe that's a greater miracle than even the creation of the world. And so let us quit treating it as if it's a light thing. Let us quit treating it as if it's of secondary importance. How does that ever happen in our minds? How is this beautiful and blessed occupation of ambassadors for the kingdom of Christ ever become secondary or worse? 
How does that happen? How do the distractions come in? How do the weights of this world come in and press the beauty of this commission out of, our, out of the front of our minds and, and make it some type of duty that maybe I'll give time to if there's some left at the end of the day? How is this not of first and primary importance in all of our thoughts and all of our efforts? How is this not woven into all that we do? My question to you, friends, is should it not be? And if it's not, as we assess honestly our own situation, should we not repent and ask for God's grace to do better at this? Should we not take up the mantle of ambassador of Christ and, and, and walk it out with zeal, passion, joy, and fervor? Should it not be seen for us as the primary reason for our existence? I believe it should. And all other things fall secondary. So first... Um, Ambassadors for Christ are redeemed by King Jesus. Secondly, ambassadors for Christ plead for reconciliation with King Jesus. Um, let, me, let me start in verse 20 again. I'll read this to you. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Here's my question. Have you ever truly, really begged someone for something in your life? Have you ever begged someone for something? And if you haven't, have you ever minimally seen someone beg for something? Maybe, maybe it was minimally in a dramatic presentation through a play or, or a show of some type, a movie, but have you seen somebody beg and plead for something? I'm talking down on your knees, pouring out your heart, weeping as you beg, pleading. Have you seen someone plead? Here's my question to you. Why would someone ever do that? I mean, is that not degrading? To be down on your knees, quivering and blubbering, begging for whatever it is you're hoping to happen? I mean, is, don't, don't you, aren't you putting yourself low and, and putting yourself subjected to the whim of whoever it is you're pleading for what you're asking for? Why would, it, why would any self-respecting person ever do that? Here's the answer. Because they care so much about the thing they're asking for that they don't care if they look desperate or weak in their asking. They care so much about the thing they're asking for that they don't, it doesn't bother them if they look desperate or weak in their asking. Here's the point. We should be desperate. We should be that kind of desperate for people to meet Jesus. If we really believe what we claim to believe, if we really believe what this Bible says, then we should, like Paul, should be willing to plead with people. <laughs> and I'm not saying you run around and fall to your knees and, and, and bawl and beg uh, in a literal sense, but I'm talking about the same desperation that causes somebody to, to plead like that should inhabit our hearts for the lost. And if it comes down to an impassioned plea from us for those whom we care about to renounce their citizenship in this kingdom and take up the blessed privilege of being a, king, a part of the kingdom of God, then if it took pleading for that, then we should be willing to do whatever it took. Paul says he, he's pleading on behalf of Christ. He's desperate for these people who he cares about to know the beauty of reconciled relationship with the God that loves them. He's willing to plead with them. My question to us is, when was the last time we pleaded for anything? Because most of us are so comfortable and well taken care of in, in the insulated lives that we've built that we would have no need to plead for anything. Secondly, when was the last time we pleaded over a soul? With that person themselves or with God? 
I don't think pleading moves God, but I think our desperation, that, that just sometimes the way we pray to God about those who we care about their souls, it, 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 should, it, it should be qualified as pleading. I should come to God so desperate over those that I love who still do not know Jesus that, that begging and pleading at the feet of God would accurately describe because I'm there so much and my heart is so broken and I'm so desperate to see those people come to know Christ. Ambassadors for Christ will plead for reconciliation with King Jesus. We should be desperate for people to meet Jesus and be willing to plead with them and to plead with God in prayer for them. The third thing that ambassadors do is they represent the righteousness of King Jesus. They represent the righteousness of King Jesus. <clears throat> this is an area where those of us who are ambassadors for Christ because, and I just want to make sure, you know, <clears throat> I need you to understand. You are a representative and an ambassador for Christ. If you, if, if you have come to faith in Christ, you are an ambassador and a representative. The only question is, are you a good one or a bad one? Okay, so let's just get that out of the way. I love you. But if, if you're going to claim to be a Christian, then you are representing him. If you're going to claim to be a disciple of Jesus, you are an ambassador. The, the only, what, but, but, <laughs> but what message are you bringing to this kingdom about what your heavenly home is like, about what your king is like, about what his servants do and say, right? So, representing the righteousness of King Jesus is one of the places throughout history that his people have not always done so well at. There are many who their primary, their primary anger and arrogance and resistance to the God of the Bible is based on their perception of what the church or people who claim to be Christians, the way they've acted, the way, what they've done, right, throughout history. And honestly... We have, to, we have to engage that. We can't just ignore it. I mean, if you know anything about history, you know there have been terrible, terrible, terrible atrocities committed. And those things were committed with somebody using scriptures in the name of Christ to back up their actions. So how do we answer that? How do we answer claims, you know, where people were tortured through the, the Inquisition? Um, you know, Several times throughout history, the Crusades, uh, even up into recent times, where people in the name of Christ, you know, there, there, there were people that were holding this Bible up saying, this is why I have slaves. That's a problem. And so how do we answer that? I think, first of all, we need to understand for ourselves that uh, not everyone that claims to follow Jesus does. Let's say that first. Uh, and... You know, what, where some people have gone, I mean, there are books now with subtitles like how religion poisons everything, right? There are people that believe God is the problem in the world, that violence, hate, extremism, that all these things, they are birthed out of not just the Christian religion, though that's the one they pick on the most, but all religion, that religion only can cause division and issues. And so how, how do we answer that claim? Because they can point to things in history that would seem to verify that accusation. 
there's a lot more that could be said on this, but first of all, I would just say that the 20th century proved that um, violence, wars, genocides, slavery, uh, the wickedness of man is, is not so much to be attributed to religion alone, but just the sinful hearts of mankind, because the 20th century, the, the, the men perpetrating the, the primary, the, the preponderance of that type of evil were, were secularists. They were people that them and their countries didn't believe there was a God at all. And so um, really it's man's constant quest for power, right? And some people have leveraged this Bible, learned enough of the language to try to leverage this to control other people. There are people that have used the name of God to do that. But does that mean everyone who has ever claimed to follow Christ, that's what they're doing? That, that would be difficult to believe. Because anybody who actually believes what this Bible says understands that that whole ethic of oppression and control by power is completely inverted and turned on its head by everything the Bible says. From the prophets forward, it's told, man, that what Jesus was going to do was tear down strongholds. He was going to flip over the, the way we do stuff, and he was going to turn everything on its head. And didn't he do that? Didn't he come and say things like, um, blessed are the, are the meek? <laughs> Didn't he come and say things like, uh, if you want to you be first, you're going to be last. You want to you wanna be a leader, you're going to serve everybody. Didn't King Jesus derobe himself, pick up a towel, and bend down and wash the grime off of his disciples' feet? How do you get a let's rise to power by leveraging religion ethic out of those type of verses. Well, you ignore them is what you do. And you're not a real Christian. Christianity is the, on, is the only religion, you know, when, when people say religion causes all these problems, I would tend to agree with them. But not in the way they mean it. Be, because I don't, think, I don't think Christianity falls into the same rubric of these other religions. Other religions are based upon man-made precepts that put somebody in power, typically. Whether it be through, you know, everybody, you know, everybody shuffle your money this way or, you know, everybody follow these rules and the guy that follows these rules best will lift him up. There's all different ways that it works itself out. Christianity, on the other hand, is, is the only place where we find things said like, it doesn't matter what you do. <laughs> will you trust what Jesus did? Christianity is the only place where we find it's, how many, well, how many days, times a day do you have to pray? Well, really, you should pray without ceasing because if, if you really are loved by God and love him in return, you're just going to want to talk to him like a, like a child wants to talk to their father. It's, it's not a strict set of requirements laid down for you to attain and then be able to boast about your own righteousness and your own self-discipline. You realize that all of your obedience is completely reliant upon the grace and power of the God who saved you to begin with. And so there's no room for pride. There's no room for a power grab. There's only humble service. There's only preferring other people above yourself. We have a self-correcting ethic in our scriptures. Anybody that's gone awry with that, anybody that has oppressed others in the name of the scriptures, historically, eventually somebody stood up and said, no, that's not going to work. Right? I mean, there, there were times where the the, the dominant representatives of the day of, of Christianity, had, had, they had gone awry. They were oppressing people with their many rules and extra requirements. And then Martin Luther nailed something on their door that said, hey, let's talk about it. 
Praise God. I'm thankful for that. And uh, God throughout history, even though many have taken his word and taken his name and, and corrupted it and tried to wield it for power uh, and for their own pursuits and their own trying to build their own kingdom really is what they're doing. Uh, time and again, God comes and he tumbles those little kingdoms. And his people as a remnant have existed all the way through. And so what I would say to those that claim that uh, you know, what we need is to totally eradicate any belief in God whatsoever, that what we need to do is completely eradicate all religions, including Christianity, I, I, would, I would just say to them, I, I, would, I would lovingly and humbly present this idea that the antidote to violence, hate, and oppression is not less Christianity, but real Christianity. And I truly believe that. I believe that the gospel, once it infects and begins to change the heart of a man or a woman, it, it takes away, that's, that's, why, that's part of why being a new creation is so beautiful, because all the way, like, and that's, do you, do you understand that like the prevailing sociological ideas right now that, that like, all of our society is run off of is the idea that most people are motivated by money? Do you know that? Do you know that most of the way everything runs is that if is we can get we can get the mice on the wheel, they'll run after they'll run after money. That that monetary gain is the primary thrust. People are starting to study it. They're starting to get weirded out a little bit and find out that's not true. Because for example, Wikipedia has eighty thousand people editing it, and you know what they get paid for that? Nothing. There's all kinds of of psycho, uh, psychologists and sociologists now starting to study this idea of like this this. This, this idea that people will get together if they have the resources and, and they'll get in a group to accomplish a goal even if they're not paid to do it. So people are starting to understand and even that, all, all good gifts, every, any good part, any, any authentic, beautiful, or genuine thing a human can do comes out of the fact that we were made in God's image. And so they're starting to understand we're not just, we're not just the result of natural selection that leads us to a get mine and forget everybody else attitude, right? Because that's what evolution would produce. People that care about one thing, me and mine surviving, the rest of you, who cares? Right? And if, it, and if that's true, you know, some people, some people will say, well, there's, there's, no, there's, no, uh, there's no motivation for somebody to try to work to improve where we're at now if they believe there's a better kingdom coming, right? Like if all we have to do is, is white knuckle it and hold on till the end, then why would we care so much about what's going on here? But but honestly, the, the adverse is true. If you believe that this is all there is, why would I give away anything, my time or, or any of my treasure or anything that I have? If, if all the enjoyment I'm ever going to have is, is now and then it's all gone, why, why would I give away anything? Why would I help anybody? Why wouldn't I do everything I could to make sure that I squeeze all the personal fulfillment and enjoyment out of every second of this miserable, purposeless existence that I have? Do you see that? I don't believe that the antidote <laughs> to all of the ails we see, the evil we see in this world, is less Christianity. I think it's real Christianity. The gospel changes people. And that ethic, it, it amplifies and it, it brings to a beautiful perfection what they're beginning to observe through the Wikipedia deal. I saw 20-some people sacrifice whatever they didn't get paid to go to work this week, pay to go down, and sweat until they almost died to build two houses for people they didn't know. 
What was their financial incentive there, my, socio, my, you know, my sociologist friends? What were they gaining there? And see, and, and so then most people tell you, well, if it's not a financial gain, it's, it's a power grab. What did they grab? Any power? No, I know some of them got some swollen ankles, can barely walk today. They grabbed that. I know some of them got real sick, put themselves in harm's way to be a blessing to somebody else. I know they grabbed some of that. Well, well, it's, you know, can't be truly altruistic because people really, they're only about themselves. So it must have been for, for their glory. It's not what I heard anybody saying. I heard everybody saying, wow, I'm really thankful Jesus made an opportunity for me to come do this. And I'm really thankful he's going to be lifted high. As these two families tell the story of how God sent a group of people to come and build them a house. Guys, the gospel changes everything. The answer to the problems in this world is not less Jesus, it's more Jesus. It's not less Christianity, it's real Christianity. And so we have to assess what's, what's going on in our motives. I'm thankful they're beginning to notice these things. I'm thankful they're beginning to understand motives matter. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to open up the box and help us understand more what is different about Christians. Real Christians are not about them. Real Christians are about God's glory and the betterment of others. And that freaks people out. They don't know what to do with it. There's not a grid for that. They don't know what to do with it. And I'm so happy about it. I want to freak everybody out. I want to be a weird ambassador from a heavenly country that everybody I come in contact with is weirded out by me, but somehow drawn as well. I want to shock the world with the love of Christ. It is a shock. It's a scandalous love, man. Somebody willing to pay the price for people that had set themselves up as his enemies. What? And invites them, come on, come be a part of my kingdom. I want to bless you and love you and be good to you. Call you my children forever. How do we ever let anybody make us feel silly or stupid for sharing that kind of good news? Because sometimes we just don't think about it like that, right? Let's just say it. And we need to think about it more. We need to let ourselves be totally consumed with the beauty of our call to be ambassadors. You are an ambassador for Christ. How does that hit your frame right now? How does that line up with the reality of your life? You are an ambassador for Christ. If you sit here before me and you have put faith in the finished work of Jesus and what he did on that cross and that he rose from the grave and that all of that is enough to purchase you away from death and hell and sin, you today sit as an ambassador for Christ. Are you a good one or a bad one? What message are you bringing to this country that's not yours? What lesson are people learning about your king from observing your life? What are they learning about where you're from? Do they want to go? Do they want to meet your king? I pray by God's grace the answer to those things will be yes. As we continue to walk and we cling to the promise that my dear brother was affirmed in this week, that the work he's began in us, he'll take through to completion. May we be a people who rejoice in our redemption and our redeemer. May we be a people who desperately seek the reconciliation of others to our king. And may we be a people who represent him in such a way that people will yearn for his kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Lord God, first we want to say that we love you. Lord God, though this is a great weight set upon our shoulders, its burden is light to understand that you have, that you have 
given us, that you have trusted us with the mantle of the word of reconciliation and and to be ambassadors for your beautiful name. Uh, Lord, we don't take that lightly. And so, Lord God, we are willing to examine our lives in light of this call. We are willing to look at our lives and see, does it line up with that title? Are we ambassadors for your beautiful kingdom? Are we representing well what it is you represent? Do people see your character and your love, the joy and the peace that comes in serving you? Or are we blending into the kingdom around us? Are we not able to be distinguished from those that we are called to come and to share the good news with? Is there no distinction and thus no curiosity and thus very few opportunities for us to share about the goodness of our King and the beauty of your gospel? Lord, I ask you to correct whatever needs to be corrected in us. If it's apathy, if it's, if it's distraction, God, if, if the, the, the values and the ethic of this world has come in and crowded out the beauty of what you did in making us new creations, if, if it's covered over all of the things that you've come and changed in us, God, we ask that you would shatter absolutely anything that would set itself up as an idol or a, an identity higher or above being your child and thus being an ambassador for your kingdom. Lord God, we don't take it lightly. We know that this is our call, and we, we receive it and accept it with joy. Lord, we're still, we're still left in awe and wonder that you would even allow us, that you, that you would trust us with such a task, the, the ministry of the word of reconciliation. But I thank you, Lord, that you have, and I thank you that you promised to empower us. Lord, each of us can think of ways in our life that we've not lived up to this title of an ambassador of your kingdom. Lord, I ask that none of us would uh, fall into the trap of the devil of condemnation because of that, but that we would gladly receive conviction by your Holy Spirit, that we would repent today, and Lord God, that we would be changed, that we would, <laughs> that we would cry out and we would desperately plead for your grace and your strength, that we could trust you more, that we could represent you better. And we don't want to do this, Lord, to try to get you to love us or try to get you to accept us. Lord, we want to do this because you've loved us and you've accepted us. Lord, help us to be passionate above all else about sharing that good news with as many people as possible. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.